So I'm recording this, and it's December 2023, and I'm coming up on two years, more or less, two years of doing this. And right now, I'm almost to 350 films. And the goal, I think, that I set for myself was about 1,000 films. That's when I started. That was almost two years ago. I had like a thousand films on my watch list on IMDb and I thought, all right, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to see if I can get through all of these films. These are a lot of films that I've never gotten around to watching. And I thought, all right, I'll work my way through this list and talk about them. And I, the list has grown over the last two years. It's grown to another 300 films on top of that. So I've watched almost 350 films, but I've added another 300 or so to the list. But I'm still trying, still working on it. Keep in mind, you know, I'm watching these movies. The idea with this whole thing was I just wanted to watch new movies that I hadn't seen before, whether they're old or new or just overlooked. And yet at the same time, I'm, I'm watching old movies again. You know, I'm going back and seeing films that are favorites or films that I don't really remember the details of. I remember watching them, but I just don't really, I don't have a clear picture of them at this point. Maybe I saw them like 20 years ago or 40 years ago, right? You know, if you listen to the earlier episodes, you know that I really just barreled through a bunch of films every episode, every week. I mean, it it started out, I was doing this every day. I was watching a new film every day. And that was fun and it was cool. But uh, one thing is I couldn't keep that up. That's a hard pace to keep up, really. But the other thing is like, sometimes I just want to watch a film that I just enjoy or love, really. You know, you just want to put on the, the old, tattered, comfy sweatpants. So I've been doing a little more of that this year, you know, all throughout 2023. I've talked about in some previous episodes, I, I saw some Kubrick films playing at the Alamo Drafthouse, you know, for the, I guess, the 50th anniversary of American Graffiti. I saw that in the theater. And here, just a few days ago, I went to see The Abyss Special Edition, released in theaters for the first time after, what is it now, like 30 years you know, the original theatrical cut, the release back in 1989, is different than the special edition. If you've never seen the film, the special edition is basically just a longer, I guess, director's cut. And it's got stuff that actually helps the film, but it's never been released in theaters. Now, it was on Laserdisc. I had the Laserdisc edition for a long time, held on to it, loved it. And... Once I got rid of a Laserdisc player, well, I, you know, there was really no reason to hang on to it other than just sentimental value. And I ended up getting rid of that at some point. But then I had it on DVD, and it's never been available on Blu-ray or even now like 4K or whatever. And I don't think you can even find it anywhere to stream unless it just happens to show up you know, for a month or so on, I don't know, Max or, or whatever your platform of choice. It's real hit and miss whether you can actually see the film at this point. 
But the fact that they've finally gotten that straightened out and they're coming out with a new edition of it on 4K and whatever, I think it's in January, sometime next year, well, they did this release of it in the theaters for one day only. Now, the funny thing is that day is also my dad's birthday. And, you know, I... (laughs) I took my dad to go see it. So it's not like I didn't I didn't share the day with him also. And I, dad, I love you. But, you know, it's like, how do I kind of make both of these things work at the same time? Good thing is, if you've heard the episodes I did with him last year, about a year ago, you know that he's a good sport and he loves movies just the same. So we had a good time. And it was interesting to kind of reflect on that in a way. Not just the film itself, but the experience of it. So for me, it's a film that I've really gone through and thought about, like, why do I love this film? You know, it's not a film that is necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily a a great film, a perfect film, right? If, If you look at like James Cameron's filmography, I don't think it's necessarily his strongest film. I mean, he's got like just big hitters all the way down the line from the Terminator all the way to the latest Avatar movie, which, you know, top of the box office charts of all time. Right. So the Abyss actually probably ranks pretty low in that scale. Like it doesn't have the cultural significance. It doesn't have the box office um I don't know, the numbers, the the success of some of the other films that he's done. But for me, it was it was none of that that mattered. For me, it was more about the approach to it. You know, it was one of the first films I saw. And I saw it in 1989 in the theaters, the original release. And I was telling somebody the other day, I said, this was a film that I went to with my mom. And at that time... You know, if you were around then, you might remember, like, you know, the idea of having, like, a THX certified screening environment, like the the surround sound, the screen itself. The auditoriums were built for premium exhibition, right? Like, this was, like, the best you could do. This was the standard, the gold standard for watching a film. Now, I was like 13 or something, so I didn't really understand all of the technical stuff behind that. I just knew that, oh, this must be something special. And watching that film, and there were a couple others in that period, but The Abyss, seeing that on screen in that kind of a theater, it really made me pay attention to not just the story or the characters or, or, you know, the plot of it, but like how they made this movie. But now you got to remember, this was one of the very first films that worked with CGI and all that. Before Terminator 2, before Jurassic Park. You know, it has one sequence in the film where it's there's like an actual, the, the water tentacle, right? The, that's the first kind of big major appearance of a CG element that is important to the plot. It's not like something in the background or whatever. And so just watching it and trying to understand, trying to figure out like, wait, how did they, how did they do this where these actors are like in these diving suits and they're, it looks like they're underwater 
and it looks like they're in a real submarine and they're really doing some of this stuff. And then to find out, oh, no, 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 they, they did do that. They were underwater. They were in diving suits. And so when you see like Ed Harris at the end of the film where he's in the liquid oxygen breathing suit where he's supposed to be breathing this pink liquid and he's got a closed helmet on with the liquid in it, which is just water. But then they put him underwater. So he's got a closed helmet full of water. And then submerged into the moon pool, right, of the rig. And it's like, wait, so the man can't breathe at all. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of acting probably involved there. You know, so when you start to, like, you just peel back the layers of the story and the characters and you just the technical work that had to go into making this all happen, that was the first film that really kind of got me, got those gears turning in my head. And it took movies and filmmaking from being just entertainment and something you go watch into a real craft. There's a real science. There's a real art behind it all. And for me, it was very formative because it, it not only broke down like what it takes to make a film, let's say, but just to make something, just to create out of imagination or out of will you know that it takes it takes some stamina it takes some real creativity and look i mean the success of the film for what it is maybe it feels like ah uh, was it really worth all of that but i think the other thing is it speaks to maybe the approach or the mindset of someone a filmmaker like james cameron who has apparently done this kind of thing or this level of work on all or most of his films where it's intense it's serious it's real and i mean even the avatar films which you know everything you see on screen is computer generated i mean except for the actors and maybe some of the sets you know everything on that planet or with those other characters and all that stuff that's going on it's all fake right what is the mind that says this is going to work and we're going to find a way to make it work? It's just real. I mean, it's, it's kind of inspiring in a way to see that level of commitment on display. So all of that to say, look, I went to see the abyss. It was great. It was fun to just revisit it and in a way to see it with new eyes. You know, I, I legit saw things that I hadn't seen before. And I've seen that film so many times. I know every scene, I know every beat, every line of it. It's like, I just, as I'm watching it in the theater, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, and then the next part, and then he says this, and then she says that, and then this thing happens. But I found myself like looking at different parts of the frame, like watching different parts of scenes that were happening that I'd never watched before. And I saw things I didn't see before. And that's something that I, I it, it reminds me, you know, I said it before, but it's like, it reminds me that the theatrical experience is just different. You can't get that at home. I watched that movie so many times on VHS. 
you know, in my room as a kid, just watched it over and over, tried to understand, you know, how they made it and like, wow, you know, who came up with this idea and all that stuff. And still, there's so much there that you just can't, it's undeniable when you have a 40 foot screen in front of you. So, you know, I, I just wanted to reflect on that for a minute because it was something that it's very personal, I guess, to me. And maybe other fans of the film feel the same or at least similar ways about it. Because I do feel like there's a very tiny audience for the film. And whether you appreciate it on a technical level or thematic level, like the, the ideas in it, it's an interesting thing to, to look at a film that really, I I can see the the flaws in it. I can see why somebody might think, oh, this is corny or this, this was cool up until this part. I mean, the film takes a giant left turn at the end. And if you're not willing to go with that, uh, it could, I could see it like souring people, like as they're watching it, it was like, oh, I was down with this until that happened. All right. I mean, I get it. But like I said, if you kind of look at it from some different angles, you, you there's a lot to appreciate there. So it's not to say like in defense of the film or whatever. It's just like uh, it's something that I really enjoyed. And I I feel like if more people will like put it out there, like put things on the line to make a film, I think we'd have a lot better films. You know, I saw something, I was reading something the other day, like, this is, by all accounts, James Cameron's worst film. And not that it's a bad film, it's just look at everything else he's done. To say, like, this is his least successful or least cohesive film or whatever. Okay, well, I mean, compared to what? Billion dollar hits or cultural touchstones? In film history, whether it's the Terminator, Aliens, um, Avatar even. And so the other films I, I've seen lately, I think, are in a, in a similar way. They've got me reflecting on age and time in a different way than The Abyss is. Because, look, I, I, I was telling somebody the other day about, oh, yeah, I saw that film when I was like 13. I saw it in a theater. And I was actually, uh, we were actually close to the theater or where the theater used to be, where I saw that film. And they said, oh, you, you were 13 in 1989? Oh, shit, because, like, I wasn't even born yet. Oh, okay, that's, that's cool. That makes me feel real good. <laughs> but... You know, it, it, it is something that I'm kind of coming to grips with of like, well, yeah, things are changing. I'm changing. You know, time is passing. And so some of the other recent films I've seen, they've kind of got me thinking about that a lot. You know, I saw this film, No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. It's a it's a pretty R-rated comedy that I feel like they don't really make much of anymore. And yet it approaches a similar thing. It's like Jennifer Lawrence for a lot of people. She's the girl from winner's bone or the hunger games films. Right. And even like for me, like I didn't even get it then. 
I got, I didn't really, I, I wasn't seeing it. And it really wasn't until, uh, what was it? Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle where I was like, oh, I get it now. I get it. I see what's going on here. I see why people like what she's doing. Got it. Because I feel like, okay, here's somebody who has talent, has personality, has charisma, and can be very heavy, but can also laugh at herself. And I think not, not just for a character's sake, but for a watchability's sake, like I think that's important. You know, when you have someone who takes themselves so seriously and they're like, they're, they're seamless, like there's no cracks in the armor, it's hard. I mean, you could have a Daniel Day-Lewis, but if you never see him like crack a smile or give an inch in terms of being like relatable or, or even likable, it's tough to feel like this is somebody you want to watch. So anyway, what I'm saying is with no hard feelings, I'm like, you know, the story is kind of, it's based on, I guess, a premise of a, of a real, I don't know, a, a, like an online ad or whatever for someone who, uh, uh, some parents who wanted to hire someone to date their young son to kind of get him out of his shell and whatever. And, you know, look, whether that's all the starting point and then this film is just purely imagination, is this what it seems like? But the idea is that this film really hangs on Jennifer Lawrence and her own unique kind of personality, but also the chemistry with the kid in the film. And I say kid, I mean, he's not a child, but he's playing the part. And and I think that balance kind of works out. I mean, it's awkward. It's funny. It's a little bit creepy, <laughs> but it acknowledges itself. You know, it is self-aware. And I mean, look, there's even some moments where the film kind of goes out on a limb. I mean... To say like Jennifer Lawrence isn't afraid to laugh at herself or embarrass herself, this is the film that shows that, like literally. And I, I mean, I just think it's it's okay. It's a good time. It's got some interesting things it's trying to say. Whether it holds up over the years or whatever, I don't know. But I feel like I enjoyed myself. I thought it was fun. But I think the element of it that I kind of that, that stuck with me was it is about the differences in age and generational changes. I mean, to have like the dialogue or the vibe of the film be like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence is old now. Like she walks into a party and someone says, like, is that someone's mom? I'm like, come on, man. What what are we what world are we living in now? That's just it. Time passes, things change. So, you know, that was an interesting thing, a takeaway from me from that film, which I don't know if it was like the crux of it all, but it certainly stuck with me. You know, I saw a couple of other films by, I say by, but starring some stand-up comedians. I saw About My Father and The Machine. One is with the stand-up 
Sebastian Maniscalco and his, it's kind of based on, I guess, his relationship with his own father and the dynamic they have and how things can be a little awkward, but there's like a generational difference and some of it's played for laughs, but you know, the thing I kind of took away from it is like in a, in a similar way about age and about difference in age is that everybody in this film, I mean, the premise is Sebastian Maniscalco. He's playing himself. He's playing a comedian who has got a fiance and they're going to go meet her parents and the dad who's played by Robert De Niro, who look, I mean, this is one of the, I guess the first film where I really felt like, Oh yeah. Robert De Niro is like actually old, like old. And it's not to say he can't be old, but it's just, it, it he wears it so clearly now. And so they go into this and it's kind of a fish out of a water thing. They're in a different environment and they're trying to like understand this different way of life that the in-laws have and all that. And the thing I kind of took away from it all is like everybody in this film, all these characters, I mean, the actors, whatever, but the characters in the film, as they're, I guess, written and performed, everybody is too old. Like it's even stated at one point, like Sebastian, not only himself, but the character is supposed to be 50 years old, but he's worried about what his dad thinks. He's worried about his in-laws and and his fiance, like what they're all going to think about certain things and who's going to get bothered by whatever. I'm like, bro, you're too old to be so preoccupied with that. Like, how do you not have some of this together already? And so that's where I just felt like this film probably would have worked better. Like for me, if everybody was like 15 to 20 years younger, it would have made more sense. I just felt like, uh, here's a guy who never seemed to grow up somehow. And now he's being forced to do it at 50. And yet, you know, he's got an old father in his eighties who can't quite, you know, get with the program or has just got a very different way of doing things. I guess it, it just felt kind of clumsy. You know, like I felt like this was maybe if you, if you kind of like peel it apart a little bit, it's like maybe this was an idea that was cooking for a long time. And by the time this film finally got made and if he was going to play himself and then who's like age appropriate for everybody around the character. OK, well, you got to do all that math. But then it's like but the end result is like, why does this feel like everybody's way too old to be in this movie? And I, I mean, I guess that's part of the gist of it is that, you know, this can happen at any point in life, but I don't know. It just felt, it just didn't feel right. Like it felt like everybody here should know better or is too old to be kind of playing these silly games and stuff. So I, it didn't really work for me. And I just felt like the way he comes off in the film is not the way I know or understand him from his comedy act or his even you know the podcast he does like his just general kind of vibe doesn't feel like this guy this guy's kind of a ninny and meanwhile in the machine this is based on another stand-up comic Burt Kreischer who I've kind of been aware of and in a way kind of followed you know some of his stuff that he's done 
for more than 10 years at this point. And I feel like, you know, seeing the progression of somebody's career or their work, it gives you an idea of who that person is, or at least kind of what they're like, maybe, or at least put it this way, how they process and express themselves. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I don't know what these people are like. I don't think many of us do. But this film at least plays it a little closer to reality in a sense because it's about him and his comedy act and how a part of his comedy act, a story that really did happen that he talked about in his routine, it went viral, which it really did. And it took his career to a new level, which it really did. And where this film just departs from reality is where it catches up with him. With the past, basically it comes back to haunt him in a way. But the main character, Bert, playing Bert, it feels like, for the most part, the real Bert, let's say, that we all would recognize. And it does a thing where instead of having him play a younger character or, or someone who should be younger, we've got two different stories going on at the same time. We've got current day Bert, who has a family, who has a father, who is older. And we've also got, we, we jump back to Bert in the past, when this original incident or whatever took place. And how these things tied together and how the past came back to haunt him, basically. And I feel like that was at least a pretty ingenious way to do it. Now, on top of that, it goes into like real R-rated territory. You know, whether it's like the action or the violence, let's say. Uh, whether it's the language. Just the vibe of it. It just feels more mature. The other one feels a little more like a family film. You know, kind of a... a more rom-com-ish. This one feels more like um, it goes for the R. And on those terms, I can at least respect it for not pulling punches, you know, for saying what it's got to say and just going for it. And, you know, if you're a fan or if you know who Bert is and the people around him, like in his orbit, you'll catch like Easter eggs and stuff. And you even see there's a... There's kind of a different dynamic between him as a character and the character, you know, his father, his family. Like, it feels like it's trying to tap into something that's a little deeper. And look, you could even, by the end of the film, you could say, well, this is clearly a love letter to fans, but also a love letter to his family, his father, his wife, his kids, and even to... Just the circumstances that got him to where he is as, as, a, as the real person. I could see that. Now, maybe if you don't know who he is, or you don't follow any of that, you just like, okay, they made a film about some fictional comedian who did this stuff, you know, or this was somebody's fantasy or whatever. If you're surprised to find out, well, like some of this is real. And when you see like all the layers beneath that of, Here's someone who, by all means, probably wouldn't, if things would have been like just two degrees off, probably would never have had this movie made about them, probably would not have had the kind of success he's had. 
It's not to say he's a bad guy or anything. But it's just to say that, like, this is the way just chance can play a part of life and how it can lead you to greater things. Sometimes it doesn't come until later, though. So, you know, look, that's probably a lot of, like, blowing up some things that are barely in the film. It is mostly an action comedy. It plays a lot of laughs. I'll give it this. It does have some real hints of, like, quality filmmaking, actually. There's some really interesting, like, transitional moments that happen, which I wasn't expecting. You know, the, the way it's shot and edited, some of the action... It's pretty solid. It's pretty convincing. It's not quite like John Wick level stuff, but you could tell somebody really put thought, really put the work in to make it look impressive. So all those aside, I also thought, well, look, I want to see this movie Blackberry. Because one, I mean, it is also kind of based on real incidents or real people. And For some people, some people that are walking around in the world today, they don't really know what a Blackberry is. They maybe heard of it, but they never seen one, never used one. And so I wanted to see what this would be like to to have this glimpse at a very specific time, not just in like technology or whatever, but like in culture of, of how people worked, how people communicated. And so this film is actually really, it's pretty outstanding, I think. And it's not necessarily because of BlackBerry itself. I don't care. I didn't own a BlackBerry. I knew people who did. But to understand kind of the makings of it, like where the idea came from, how it got off the ground, how this small little company from Canada created this device or this technology really that changed the way people use phones, the way they communicated, the way they saw technology. Like it wasn't like you're stuck to a computer or even a laptop. You could just have a thing in your pocket that puts you in touch, that, that gives you all the capabilities and it's more than just the phone. Right. And then to see that all kind of come apart, you know, through all the different circumstances that happened, but these guys who really approached this with a real earnest kind of uh, idealistic view of like, oh, we can do things that can change the world with this device. And then it kind of got co-opted, kind of got diluted. And now it's like BlackBerry is still around, but they don't make those things anymore. Those things are gone. To be around in that time and to remember those moments like i mean the moment when steve jobs introduced the iphone the very first iphone 2007 i remember watching that and so here like as it's played in the film it's late in the film because that's blackberry's already doing his thing by the time the iphone comes along but that moment when it happens it, it was like a touch point for me because i'm like i i remember that i remember that day that that keynote speech and thinking, oh, damn, everything's about to change. Not really sure how, and maybe even to what degree. But, it, I mean, it's said in the film. 
there's a line in the film where it's like the BlackBerry, it's just going to be known as the thing you had before you had an iPhone. Uh, you know, if you would have said that to me in 2007, I would have said, I really, I don't know about that, but maybe. And you look at it now, I mean, we're what, 16 years later and that's what it is. And even to the point where it's like, well, if you don't have an iPhone, you don't really have a phone, do you? <laughs> Sorry, all you Android guys. But the point is, like, watching that moment and watching this whole film, really, I mean, even the music, the, the some of the, like, the wardrobe and, and all that stuff, it really does a great job of setting the right time and space for when this happened. Because like even the very first song is that Elastica song, right? It's like, I remember that. I remember that song came out. I have the album. And it's, I don't know, it, it was an interesting way to look at or, or kind of reframe that moment in time for me. Because I wasn't paying attention to Blackberry and whatever at that point. But I do remember things that were happening then, like in pop culture. And it's a, it's a fun way to kind of look at a time that you recognize, but from a whole different angle. And so it's, uh, I don't know, it, it was another film that made me think, oh, that's right, I was around back then. And like I said, there, there are people now who are out in the world, grown adults, that have no idea what a Blackberry is. Oh, damn. So, I don't know, these, these films were interesting ways to look at time, the passage of time and the way things change and, and, and what that means to people, you know, it can mean a lot or it can mean very little. It, it sometimes it just depends on perspective, I guess, you know, as, as I get older and, you know, the people around me get older and things change in the world. I can be the person that says, all right, well, I'm stuck in my time. I'm stuck in my era, you know, or I can pay attention and I can, I mean, I guess you could say I try to keep up, but more like I just roll with it. Whatever happens, happens. I'll be there. I'm not going to just get stuck. So I, you know, that's a lot to take from these films, which may or may not be great films. I think Blackberry is particularly strong. I'll tell you that much. I think that's a film that maybe like the social network or, or even the, the Steve Jobs film itself, um, they highlight a very important or very relevant period of time, specifically with technology, I guess. But they're a nice little time capsule for people who might not have been around or, or at least been aware enough to know these things were happening that 10, 20, 30, whatever years from now, they'll be able to look at that film and say, Oh, that's how that went down. Or at least have the general idea. So I don't know. Those were, that was kind of my takeaway from those, you know? And you, you combine that with the abyss and the amount of reflection I did as I sat and watched that. And even afterwards, it got me thinking about getting older. When did I get so old? <laughs> if you're listening to this and you know me, uh, yeah, you're getting old too, okay? 
All right. So look, that's it for now. Um, I might have some interesting things coming up for the holiday here. Uh, I, I do want to get my dad back on. We, we, I think we have a pretty interesting film or two we might talk about. You know, you know what to do. You go to filmstreak.com. You'll find other episodes. You can do all that stuff. I don't want to keep doing all that again. Just it, Look, if you found this, you know where to go. You already know. You're there already. Otherwise, yeah, that's right. Go watch something new. 